Well, there's never a, never a bad time to sing about the cross. Amen. It was there where my sins were washed away. Uh, we praise the Lord for that. Thankful that you're here and uh, just thankful for a great day to be back in the Lord's house. And, and uh, we did have a, uh, just a great uh, time of worship in our 815 service. And, and uh, it was wonderful to have um, many, not all, but many um, of our teenagers just down here and uh, all wearing these same shirts from uh, D-Now from this weekend. And so... Um, man, what an amazing weekend. I, For whatever reason, in, in the years past, I've just not been able to uh, be at the D-Nail. Um, we do it a little bit different, and uh, I know that's not the Baptist way, but uh, <laughs> um, that, that's supposed to be funny. But anyway, um, if you don't laugh at that, they're not going to get any better. Uh, but, uh, you know, Baptists, we don't do it that way, but, uh, they do kind of a area, regional, countywide type, uh, D now. And so all the youth pastors get together and man, they plan this amazing, amazing D now weekend. And, and it is top notch, top of the line. Uh, if, if you have Facebook, go look on my page. I've posted a lot of things about it. Um, man, it is just an unreal experience. And, and uh, Pastor Matt and, and, uh, is a part of that leadership team, and, and I'm telling you, they do an amazing job. It, it, you would be blown away uh, at how well they do. It's a year-long process. Um, they'll start meeting next week, uh, probably, for, the next, for next year, and uh, it's just amazing. And I tell you, there's nothing more encouraging uh, than being in that room last night, uh, Friday night and yesterday morning and last night, seeing over a thousand teenagers lifting their hands, singing to King Jesus, bowing their faces and knees at an altar to the Lord, and handing over their life and their heart to Jesus. Amen. I mean, what an amazing thing it was. And, and uh, I, I told our teenagers, I said, don't, don't, don't let it stop there. And, and uh, man, I saw even this morning when they were there singing, and our teenagers are raising their hands, and they're getting saved, and they're singing to the Lord. They're singing and, 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 uh, and worshiping the Lord. And, and I told them, look, your parents may not do that, but don't that let, let you not do that. Don't let that keep you from raising your hands, singing to the Lord, from shouting to the Lord and raising your hands in an act of worship in a song that we sing. Your parents may not do it, but you better. Um, and parents out there, listen, there's, there's more emotion in their worship than I've seen in a lot of years in ministry, in a lot of adults. I don't know what it is about us adults. We get to a place uh, in church where we don't sing and raise our hands and, and, and just sing to the Lord uh, of all the things that he's done for us. I don't know how you can sing about the cross. Hallelujah for the cross. Uh, I was a prisoner, but now I'm not. Now I'm, I'm not anymore. And and man, just during that song, the then their hands are raised, and man, I look around. Adults are just just standing there like this, you know, barely moving your lips, just barely singing. And I told them, I said, your parents may not sing to the Lord and raise their hands to honor the Lord and worship. Don't let that keep you from doing it, mamas and daddies. You need to be singing to the Lord. You need to be raising your hands in an act of worship to the Lord. Show your kids how to worship. 
Man, if your children had your faith, would it be a strong one or not? Would it be convicting? Would people know they know the Lord or not? Man, I appreciate it. And we had a great time. And I appreciate, as a pastor, I appreciate those that opened up their homes uh, to host the teenagers. They had host homes. And, and uh, so I appreciate those that did that, even some who don't even have teenagers at the church. They just like to serve and, and said, I will open up our home. Not a big deal. Um, uh, Amanda and I opened up our home, and we had uh, some boys staying at our home. And, and uh, I'm not bragging. I just want to be humble about that, Matt, you know, just that we did. I'm just, we did, and we provided, and I, I, I just want to be humble about that, you know. I'm the most humble person in the room right now, so just want you to remember that. Yeah, y'all feel the humility, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> growing. Um, I'll see you at the altar later. Um, but I do think I got a break this time. I had, the, I had seen junior high boys for a winter retreat. I had senior high this time. <laughs> Big difference in size and attitude but anyway it's a big difference but we had a good time we really did uh had nerf war battles in our house and there are nerf bullets all over my house and if it weren't enough yesterday my wife so lovingly went out and bought 200 more bullets um and so we're gonna have a kind of like an easter egg hunt in my house but we're gonna have a nerf war bullet hunt and i'd love for you to come but um listen be praying for our teenagers man god's at work in their heart there were teenagers uh, from our church that got saved, teenagers from our church that prayed, rededicating their life to the Lord, recognizing things in their life that shouldn't be there. Uh, man, you should have been there, and uh, I'm praying for them. I'm thankful for them, and uh, man, what a, I, I, I told them, I said, why not revival start with our teenagers? Why not? I think it'd be a wonderful thing for our adults to follow the leadership of our teenagers who are singing to the Lord. They don't care. They're just worshiping God. They're raising their hands. And they want to live for the Lord and do the right thing. Maybe us adults can look at them and follow their leadership and get out of our comfort zone a little bit. Well, you know, our word for this year is going. You see some signs up here that's kind of not their final destination. We're working on um, hanging those and maybe doing something a little different. But uh, they look so good, we wanted to put them up. and uh, So they're kind of there temporarily. But uh, that's our word we want to focus on this year is the word going. Uh, We believe that the Bible is very clear. As a church, we ought to be a going church. We ought to be going. And if we're going to be a biblical church, we ought to be going. We want to be a a Great Commission church. We should be going. It's very clear. Uh, Our mandate in uh, the Scriptures, in, in the Great Commission that we are to go and make disciples. That word go uh, is not uh, so much an action word. It, uh, in the original language, it means as you are going. It, it, there's no, there's, we always have this idea that uh, going is starting and stopping. But in the Scriptures, there's no starting and stopping. There's just an ongoing, as you are going, make disciples. So as you get up in the morning, as you go to work, or as you go to school, as you... Uh, go to practice or the grocery store or uh, the, the restaurant. As you are going, we are to be going with the gospel and making disciples. Uh, and so there's not a starting point. There's no stopping. Uh, it's just an as you are continuously, as you live your life, your conversations need to turn into gospel conversations. Uh, We talk about all kind of things in our conversations, but oftentimes the one thing that's normally never brought up in our conversations as Christians is the gospel. 
the gospel message, the one that saved you, the one that brought you from death to life, who brought you from being a prisoner now to being set free. It's great to talk about football and sports, great to talk about hunting and fishing and shopping and, and, and uh, vacations and all the wonderful uh, opportunities to have great conversations. But our, at some point, our conversations need to be gospel-centered conversations uh, and so, so that we are going all the time, making disciples. We read that in the Great Commission. Uh, we also see a great mandate in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you have your copy of God's Word, if you'll turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21, Paul gives us, the church, just a great uh, picture of uh, the task that we have at hand as the church, as believers, as Christ followers. This is our marching orders. This is what we are to be accomplishing as the church. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 18, if you have your place, if you'll stand with me as we read the scriptures together, we, we want to stand as we honor the public reading of God's Word, this living Word that is able to transform our heart. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 18, this is what the Bible says, everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. So in the very beginning, we see uh, God who has reconciled us to himself, how? Through Christ, meaning we now have a right, at one point we did not have a right relationship with God, but God has reconciled us back to him, how? Through Christ, not through the church, not through a preacher, um, not through a song, not through uh, we are not reconciled back to God by being a good person. We are not reconciled back to God by having a great personality or helping people who are in need. A lot of people do that. There's a lot of people that help people all the time. But it doesn't mean they've been reconciled back to God. But what the Bible says is God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. It's the only way for you to be reconciled back to God, okay? So he goes on, to be reconciled through Christ, and so there's this transition, so it's not enough just to be saved, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, not only has God reconciled you back to him. So in the very beginning, Adam and Eve, they were in the garden. Everything was perfect. No sin, nothing. Everything was perfect. But then one day, Adam and Eve decided to do things their own way. God, you don't know what's best for me. You don't know what's best for us. We want to be like you. They were deceived, and they chose to sin. They chose to do life their own way. All the problems in your life come from choosing to do life our own way. And so they chose to do life their own way, and so it, it, sin entered the world, and it broke the relationship that they had with God. So God kicked them out of the garden. 
because he cannot be in the presence of sin. So you had all perfection. Man decided to do life his own way and sin. And when sin entered the world, they were separated from God. Now, man's got a problem. I'm separated from God. How can I be reconciled back? How can I be reunited back to God? Because Adam and Eve are thinking, man, we had a great relationship with God. Now, it's painful giving birth. Now I gotta work by the sweat of my brow. I gotta work my fingers to the bone the rest of my life because of sin. How can I be reconciled back to God? So man decides to try to do everything he can to get out of brokenness. But he always finds himself right back in brokenness. But the Bible says that God reconciled us back to him. How? Through Christ. The only way you can be reconciled back to God is through repenting and believing in Jesus. And when you repent and believe, you are brought back to a right relationship to God. But it only happens through Christ. So God did that, amen. Like God reconciled you back. He looked down, you had a great need and that need was to be reconciled and you had a debt to pay because the wages of your sin, the payment for your sin is what? Death. And you couldn't do that for yourself because you would be dead. And then there's no possible way to be reconciled back to God because you're dead. And so God sent Christ to die for you, and if you repent, believe in that, you'll be reconciled back to God. But it's not enough. What does he say? He says, to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Not only has God reconciled us back to him, but he's given you the ministry of reconciliation too. What does that mean? That means you are a minister of reconciliation. God has given you the responsibility as a minister. Did you know you're a minister of the gospel? You are a minister of reconciliation. Not just me, not just the pastors of the churches. No, all believers have been given the responsibility to be a minister of the gospel. And God's given it to you. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, praise God, and has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead, this is the call, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for your word, for our time. God, we pray that as the Bible is presented, as your word is presented, may it transform our hearts and, and change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that God has reconciled us to him. That is salvation. God has saved you. God saved you. God reconciled you. You did not reconcile you. God reconciled you. He did that. And not only did God reconcile you, he gave you the ministry of reconciliation, meaning what I have done to you, go tell other people. You need to go and tell other people that I can reconcile them. I can do that. I have the power to do so, this ministry of reconciliation. That's why he calls us ambassadors. 
An ambassador is someone that is a total, complete representation of something. And so you and I are ambassadors for Christ, meaning we have this ministry of reconciliation, and what do we say? In the ministry of reconciliation, what do we tell people? What is the gospel of reconciliation? What do we tell people uh, in, as a minister of the gospel? Well, he tells us, since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf. This is what we tell people. Be reconciled to God. That's our message. That's the message of the church. Telling people, be reconciled to God. He can reconcile you back to himself on Christ, through Christ, because of Christ. That's our marching orders. It's our plea. It is our task at hand. And if we all have breath in our lungs, which you do, and I hope you continue to have breath in your lungs for a long, long time, then as long as you have breath in your lungs, your task is to plead with people, be reconciled to God. That word plead is more than just a simple invitation. I am pleading with you with every energy ounce of energy and emotion I have. I'm pleading with you, be reconciled back to God. Be reconciled to him. Turn to Jesus Turn back to God. Be reconciled with him. That is our ministry. That is your ministry. It is a full-time ministry. We are all full-time ministers of the gospel. Full-time ministers of the gospel of reconciliation. You just happen to be called to do it at your workplace. And so it's very clear of our job description. The only reason we're left here on earth is to Call people to plead and be reconciled to God. One of the things that we've recognized as a church, if we're going to be a going church, that a going church starts with prayer, that we should be a praying church. Before we can be going and pleading with people to be reconciled to God, we must be going to God on their behalf. Because the Bible is clear that God does not hear their prayers. They are lost. They are separated from him. They have not been reconciled back to God. Their prayers are hindered. They cannot, their prayers cannot get to God. How do we get to God? Through Christ. And if they don't know Christ, their prayers are not getting to God through Christ. And you know what they need? They need you. The lost, the people around you that don't know Jesus, they are in desperate need for you to present them to God. Because if you are not, who is? Let me tell you this. Be thankful and praise the Lord that while you were lost and a sinner and enemy of God, somebody was presenting your name to be reconciled to God. Praise the Lord for that. You will never know who all that was. You'll never know who all prayed for you to get saved. But praise be to God that somebody was praying for you. So if we're going to be a going church, 
We must go to God in prayer for the lost before we can go to the lost. We've said this before. Talk to God about the lost before you talk to the lost about God. Talk to God first about the lost. Those are, those are needing salvation. Talk to God about them before you go to them and talk to them about God. The least you can do for someone is pray for them. I mean, the least you can do for somebody is to pray for them, and really praying for someone is the greatest thing you could ever do for someone. The greatest thing you could do for somebody is to pray for them. It's not to help them or serve them or or give them the shirt off your back if they need it or help them, you know, fix a flat tire. All those things are great. The greatest thing you can do for someone is to pray for them. You are going to the God that can do anything, and you are pleading And you're asking God to intervene in their life. Do they need you more or do they need the power of God more? Pray for the power of God in their life. That's what they need. And the least you could do is pray for someone. Listen, the least you could do for someone who is lost is to pray for them. If you want a desire and a passion for the lost, those that need Jesus, it starts with prayer. It doesn't start in the books. It doesn't start in the classrooms. It doesn't start with knowing more or, or practicing more. If you want to have a passion and desire for the laws, it starts with prayer. Evangelism starts with prayer. Discipleship starts with prayer. Everything starts with prayer and should be bathed with prayer. One of the things I've noticed about praying, especially for the laws, is that when you pray for others, it often gets the focus off of you and your needs and onto the needs of others. When you're praying for people, it gets the focus off of you and it puts it on someone else. You're focusing on someone else's needs. I, I've always felt like this, and I, I, really, I really believe this to be true. If you're ever discouraged, down about something, life has been difficult, you're ever discouraged, one of the ways that I, I just believe, and I encourage people, man, if, you, if you're just, you feel depressed or you're just kind of going through a hard time right now, one of the best things you could do to help that is serve someone else. I really believe that. I really believe you're, you're as close to Christ when you're serving other people, when you're serving others. That's, I mean, when you're praying for people and serving others with, with no expectation of anything in return, Right? You're not serving so you can get something back. You're just serving people because you want to you have compassion and you love them. I think you're the closest to Christ at that point when you're serving people. And so if you ever feel discouraged, you ever feel down about life, man, things are just not going well, your job's not going well, family, whatever, things are not going well, start praying for people. And then start serving people. It takes our focus off of us and our needs and the things we have and puts it on others. The Bible is very clear in Galatians 6, 2, that we are to carry one another's burdens, carry each other's burdens. And not only is that important, listen to what happens when we carry one another's burdens. It says we fulfill the law of Christ. If you want to fulfill all the law of Christ, carry one another's burdens gladly and cheerfully and with great emotion and compassion, and great grace, and love carry one another's burdens. Begin praying for others that God would help build up the body of Christ. In Second Chronicles chapter 7, a very familiar passage, 
It says, if my people who are called by my name, that's you, that's me as Christians, as followers of Christ, those that believe upon the Lord Jesus for salvation, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. And then I will forgive their sin and heal their land. We have this process. If my people, the church, who are called by my name, if they'll humble themselves, obviously I'm joking earlier, but I do think we have a pride problem in our churches today. We have a pride issue in people's hearts today. People who think, I'm not that bad, I'm pretty good, I I mean, I help, I, I'm not perfect preacher, but you know, I help people when they need it. I, I'm, I, I try to steer people in the right direction as best I can, and I try to encourage people. I try to make people laugh and try to have a good personality. The problem is we're, we're building up ourselves as if, look how wonderful we are. But the Bible says if you'll humble yourself, not only humble yourself, but pray Seek the face of God and turn from your wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Listen, the greatest healing this society, this land needs is not a healing of racism or um, healing from, you know, Republicans and Democrats and the White House and Um, the healing that this land needs is the forgiveness of sins. That's the healing we need. It's not physical. Spiritual. The problem we have, the problem that we are facing today as a church and as a society, that problem is not the Democrats. I know. Shocker. Uh, from many of your Facebook posts, it seems as though that's the truth. Doggone Democrats. Capital R-A-T-S. I see you put it on there. Democrats. The problem's not the Democrats. The problem is not Republicans. It's not impeachment trials. The problem is sin. It's always been sin. Well, if it weren't for those Democrats, no. If it weren't for sin, if it weren't for that Pelosi lady, no. If it, if it weren't for sin, if it weren't for sin, that's the forgiveness we need. That's the healing we need. Trump is not a savior. People think so. We should get the Republican in there. No, what do we need? We need God to reach down on our land and heal our sin-sick world. That's what we need. And the only hope we have, it does not come from red or blue or a white house. It comes from the throne of God. And it happens from the people of God who would humble themselves, pray, seek the face of God, turn from their wicked ways. Then God will heal our land. 
You want God to save your parents. You want God to save your coworkers. You want God to save your children and your teenagers and your husband and your spouse. You better humble yourself before God. You better start praying. You better seek the face of God and turn from your wicked ways. Then God will hear from heaven. And God will hear that heal this land. We got a sin problem. God doesn't have a sin problem. He's never sinned. We got a sin problem. I got a sin problem. We all have a sin problem. Did you know that? Welcome to church. You got a sin problem. Can you humble yourself this morning and say, I got a sin problem? Don't elbow your spouse. Somebody's like, you do. I, I saw it this morning. You, you, you got a serious sin problem. Elbowing your teenager now. You do too. You need to listen. You need to write that down. Didn't even hear it. You, you need to pay attention. The greatest healing you need in your life is that your sins be forgiven. Listen, every issue, every problem you ever face in your life, it's not because of someone else. It's not because of the circumstances you're in. It's not because of the family you come from. It's not because of the upbringing you came through. Every problem in your life comes from one three-letter word, and that is sin. And let me tell you this. There is only one remedy for it, and that is Jesus. Not politics, not pastors, nothing. The only remedy for the sin-sick world, this dumpster world that we're living in, the only remedy, listen, is Jesus. It's the ministry of reconciliation through Christ. And you have people in your life, they need to know that. They need to know that Jesus is the only answer, is the only way for them. In your worship guide, you have a kind of a funky-looking outline here. It's just a different outline for you. Some of you have seen this, but it's got friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors. Here's what I want you to do. Every person in this room, let me ask you a question. By raise of hand, class participation. By raise of hand, who in here, who in here knows at least one person you, you think about it right now. You know at least one person that you would say that, that either needs the Lord, they need to get saved, they're unchurched, they're lost, whatever, however you want to put that, they're separated from God, need to be reconciled back to God. Who in here, by raise of hand, you know at least one person that needs Jesus? By raise of hand. Okay, keep them up, keep them up, keep them up, keep them up. I'm looking all across the room. I see every hand raised in here. Okay, you can put them down. Thank you, good job, you're paying attention well. Got another question. Who in here knows at least five people? You know at least five people in your life that you know that need Christ in their life. They need salvation by raise of hand. Who all needs five? Who, who knows at least five? Keep them up. Okay. I'm looking around the room. Boy, a lot of hands are raised. The majority are raised. Okay. Amen. You can put them down. So now I know you know how to raise your hand during church. So next time we sing... 
Just a quick amen. You know, just praise the Lord. Randy, I got them. So we know now. We took a picture. There was a camera back there. would take a picture of you. You can't see the camera, but we know. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take 90 seconds. You got your, you got your prayer guy, a prayer list or whatever you want to call it, the, the worship guy. You got that? Got a pen? Everybody in here, I'm going to call you out if you don't. I'm just kidding. I won't do that. What I want you to do, think of as many of these as you can and write their name on that line. Right, real fast. We're going to take 90 seconds. Class participation. I know what you're thinking. No, no, no. We came here to hear you. We don't want to work. No, we're class participation. So take 90 seconds. We're about at 75 seconds now. So five friends, five relatives, five associates, and five neighbors. You may go, man, I don't, I don't have that many. Well, write as many as you can, three or four or two. If you're retired, you say, I'm retired, I don't have associates. What about people that you used to work with that you know, you maybe still have contact with through social media or you have their number, you know them. So write their name down. So everybody in the whole room, we're writing names down. We got some names here. Just going to write those down real fast. If you're husband and wife, you can work together. Spouse, you can work together. Write some names down. You may want to put your spouse's name on here. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you need to. All right, so about 60 more seconds, really fast. Just, if you'll just write, keep filling those names out. There you go. Keep filling names out. Write those names down. There you go. Oh, yeah. What we wanted to do was put something in your hand that helps you. It's kind of putting it on paper rather than just saying, hey, think about it. We wanted to give you something that you could actually physically write down, you could hold on to. So, I mean, I'm asking you as you're finishing up, if you hold on to this and just maybe tear this page off or cut it off or you can separate all four sections, put one in your car, put the one where it says associates, take it to work with you, put it in your desk or something. You know, if, if one of those coworkers, hey, why is my name on your desk? You say, well, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. And, and if you don't mind, I'd love to tell you a story. Uh, I'd love to tell you how I got saved, if, if that's okay with you, you know. And so as you're finishing up, here's what I want us to do. I want to draw your attention to right below that where it says praying for the lost. So what we did was we wanted to not only put in front of you uh, a tool to use to write some of these names down, but we also wanted to give you a prayer. And I want to ask you this. How often, how often do you pray for people to get saved? How often are you praying a lot of those names you just wrote down? And listen, when you go home, God may reveal to you, give you some more people, some things people didn't think about. Just take this, write their name down, okay? You can, you can create a whole other spreadsheet if you'd like to uh, and write as many names down as you can. Um, you're going to have this in your Sunday school class next week, uh, and, and you could do this as a Sunday school class. We'll tell you more about that next week. But um, my question is, how often are you praying for those people to get saved? How often, how much time do you spend on praying specifically for salvation for those people? So uh, a number of years ago, I was convicted talking to a pastor friend and said, man, we just don't see a lot of salvation on Sunday, and invitation. People come down and pray, but we just don't see a lot of salvation. And he asked me a question. He said, Mike, 
how, how often, how much time during the week do you pray for your invitation? I said, well, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I pray, but maybe not specifically for the invitation. And he said, Mike, so you're telling me you're spending a whole week's worth of prepar- uh, preparation, studying, praying for the sermon, for the music, all of that, all with a culmination of an invitation. A moment where people respond to everything you've been praying for for a whole week, everything you've been prepping for a whole week, and you don't even pray for that invitation, for that response time? And man, I was so convicted by that. I thought, wow, I, I, I've kind of missed that. And so now what I do is um, sometimes I'll spend more time praying for the invitation than I do the actual sermon. And some of you are like, yeah, we could tell. We know that. We could tell that. Yeah. You don't have to amen that. Um, but sometimes I pray more for that. I want to be, I want to pray for the Lord. Is it good to pray that so-and-so, you know, they, they're sick and they need to be healed or that, pray for that child or this? Yeah, all that's great. But what's the greatest need people have? Sin to be reconciled. It's the greatest need people have. But it's the one thing most people, most churches are not praying for. We'll sit in a Sunday school class and we'll name off every little issue that we have, mamas have and sisters have and uncles, we'll name it all off. But how often do we just sit and pray that lost would get saved, that they would be found? And so we put a prayer on here. So I'm gonna run through this. At the top it says, Lord, pour out your spirit upon and name that person. Don't lump them all together and pray one prayer for all of them. Here's what I'm asking you to do. It's what I'm doing. If, if, just say you have a friend named Mike. I'm just going to use my name so none of you are like, is he saying I'm not saved? It's Mike. We're going to go with Mike. This Mike. There's other Mikes in here, but this Mike. Okay? Your prayer for Mike is, Lord, pour out your spirit upon Mike and convict him of his sin and separation from you. And then say his name again. Lord, pour out your spirit upon Mike and reveal to him who you are and what Christ has done for him. Lord, pour out your spirit upon Mike and open the eyes of his understanding and remove the spiritual blindness that he has. Lord, pour out your spirit upon Mike and draw him to yourselves in a powerful fashion. Lord, pour out your spirit upon Mike and bind Satan from him. Guard him from Satan stealing your word from him. Lord, pour out your spirit upon Mike and pray for grace and mercy to surround him. Lord, pour out your spirit upon Mike and help me to be willing and anxious to be the means by which you save and deliver him. Lord, show me how to lead him to Christ. And Lord, pour out your spirit upon Mike and send people across his path to bring him a witness of Christ. And when you're done praying for Mike, you go to the next person. And with all eight of those prayers, you call their name out. Why? Because they need you to present them to the God that can save them. Are you praying like this? Are we praying like this? Listen, maybe we're not seeing revival like we would like to because we're not praying like this for the lost. We're not praying that God would convict, that God would reveal and open their eyes and draw them to him in powerful fashion. That We're not praying that God would bind Satan and pour out grace and mercy and, and help us be the means by which they save and deliver. Listen, there's one common thing among all eight of these specific prayers. 
Do you know what it is? There's one common thing of all eight of these prayers that you're going to pray for your friend list. And of all of these, the one common thing is this. God has to do it. God must do it. So we're praying that God would convict and reveal and open eyes and draw and bind Satan and pour out grace and mercy and provide a means by which they can be saved. Most often our prayers are, Father, I'm just going to use Mike again. Here's our prayers. Mike, would you, uh, would you help Mike? God, would you? I'm praying for Mike that he'd be a better dad. He's not a good dad. God, I'm praying that Mike would be a better husband to his wife. That I'm praying Mike would, he would be a better employee, that he would clean his mouth up. He's got some bad language he needs to clean up. God, I'm praying that Mike would be humble, that Mike would have a better attitude, that Mike would walk better, would talk better, that Mike would go to church, and that Mike would be a great spiritual leader. Here's what you're doing. You're setting Mike up for failure. You know why? Mike can't do any of those things. Mike has no power to do that. But you know who does? God does. So that's why we got to transform our prayers instead of God might do this, might do this. You're, you're setting him up for failure from the beginning. Mike cannot do any of those. Those people on your list, they can't do any of that. So don't get frustrated with them. But you know who can? God can. And that's why our prayers shouldn't be uh, help them do this, help them do that. But it ought to be, God, you do this. God, you save him. God, you bind Satan from him. God, you reach down and bring him out of darkness and set him into marvelous light. It's too much pressure for the lost. It's too much pressure for them, but it's not for God. It's not for God. God can do anything. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? And God can do anything. And with every name on your list and every prayer that's on this sheet, God can do all of those things. In a blink of an eye, he has the power to do so. Why aren't we praying like that? Here, here's what I'm asking. As you exit this place, that we will be a church not just going to the lost, but we're going to God who can save the lost. And I, we're praying these prayers at home. We're praying these prayers for our children, for our spouse and our friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors. You want to know how to make a better workplace that you work in? People get saved. You want to know how to change where you work, the attitude and where you work, and change the atmosphere of your workplace? People get saved. That's how it changes. You know how people get saved? When the church goes, how will they hear? Unless someone tells them. And how will they, can they hear unless we go? But we first may, may go to God in prayer. How, how can you have a better home? A home that's full of peace and love and compassion. People get saved in your house. See, when people get saved in your house, God comes in. Holy Spirit comes in. Peace comes in. Joy, protection comes in. Pray for it. Petition for it. 
and know that it's all up to God. But let me tell you this, you better pray as if it all depends on you. What do I mean by that? You better spend so much time in prayer that as if it all depends on your prayer life whether they get saved or not. If you knew someone was sick and you had the answer to it, and the only way they were going to be healed of that sickness was by how much you prayed for them, and it was a lot, your mom or your, your spouse, you'd spend every waking moment praying for them, wouldn't you? That's how it is with salvation. You've got the answer that they need, and it's Jesus. And God has the power to provide it. Won't you pray for them? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And I pray for those in this room. There's people in this room right now. God, that they need you. Their name is on somebody's list. Is that you this morning? Is your name on someone else's list? If you're honest with yourself and where you are in your life, dear sir, dear ma'am, dear young person, if you're honest right where you are, could somebody put your name on their friend prayer list this morning? If so, if so, let me tell you this. God, I pray, would convict you of your sin right now. Father, I pray for them, whoever it is in this room, or persons, convict them of their sin and their separation from you. God, I pray that you would reveal to them who you are and what Christ has done for them on the cross. God, I pray that you would open their eyes of understanding, that you would remove spiritual blindness from their eyes and they would see. God, I pray that you would draw them to yourself in a powerful fashion. And God, I pray that you would bind Satan from them and guard them from Satan stealing your words so they can hear the gospel message of reconciliation. God, I pray for them, for grace and mercy to surround them. God, I pray that you would allow us at this moment, this church, this service, to be a means by which you save and deliver them. Is that you this morning? Am I praying for you? I'll be down front. Pastor John, Pastor Matt will be down front. Listen, today is the day of salvation. May it spring up from the ground in your heart. Do you need Jesus this morning? The Bible is very clear. Repent of your sins. Confess Jesus as Lord. Say, dear Lord, I'm a sinner. I know that. Lord, I've tried every way to fix brokenness in my life. And God, I just continue to find myself in brokenness. But God, I know now that Jesus is the only answer. He's the only way. And God, I pray that you would save me now. Forgive me of my sins. And I want to trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Father, I submit my life to you. Did you pray that prayer? If so, we'd love to talk with you, counsel with you. We'd love to celebrate with you as heaven is. I've been praying for this moment, this invitation. So won't you come? Second part of our invitation is for you, the believer, those that you know the Lord. You're saved, you know that. But if you've got a bunch of names on this list, I encourage you to come and pray. You could do it right where you are. Even right now, some of you are praying. But I encourage you to bring that list to an altar. Bow before the Lord in obedience. Submit these names to the Lord. And commit from every day now 
that you're going to pray all eight of these prayers for that one person, every single name on that list, until they get saved. And not only are you going to pray for them, but commit that you're going to be involved in the ministry of reconciliation, that not only will you pray for them, but you'll go to them as well. And I believe God will answer those prayers. Listen, God is for salvation. He's for it. And God will open up opportunities for you to go to them. And what do we say? Be reconciled to God. Father, have your way. God, may we exalt you in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.